Today on the Free Thinking Podcast, we have Penny Cameron, Development Director at Stanhope PLC and a key player in the visioning, designing and activating of their far-reaching White City campus in West London. Hello, Penny. Good to be here, Adam. And nice to have you in the office, but surrounded by lovely art. So I know this is an audio thing, but it's great to see you with colour and brightness. And actually, yeah, you're, so you're working as sort of more of a hybrid week at the moment, are you? Yes, yeah, we are. We are. Our office is open all week, but I think um, nature of the business, we, we are agile a lot of the time. But we, I would say it's the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the busy days and Mondays and Fridays perhaps not so busy. Yeah, well, it's nice to catch you here. So so I guess one of the places you're often bouncing around is your work in White City. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that, because I think designing and activating this this mini village, this, this, uh, this mixed-use campus, I think is a cracking example for us all. So could you tell us a little bit about that and maybe that, you know, how that began for you? So Stanhope bought a television centre seven or eight years ago now. Uh, and the intention was always to create a mixed-use destination and mixed-use is one of those words that gets bandied around and excuse to put a bit of everything in but but I think um, it was very very important to us at White City um, for a number of reasons but not least because White City at the time that we bought the site wasn't really somewhere that anyone wanted to go you wouldn't necessarily want to go to eat to work but certainly not to live uh, and so the placemaking piece at White City was hugely important. Uh, and we had to think from very early stage about what we wanted that place to be uh, and how it was going to work with all the other developers in the area, because obviously it, it's a big regeneration area and there are some, some other big partners. Uh, we've got Barclay Group there, you've got Imperial College, Westfield. So, so there are some big players in that area. Um, so we had to think about how, how we would sit next to them and what what we were going to be um, and and we knew that there would be homes and we knew that there would be offices because we wanted to create um, a, a destination 24 hours a day seven days a week um, and we also wanted to bring in other uses to kind of glue those those two key uses together um, the studios obviously were always going to be part of it the BBC were always going to stay so we had an absolutely brilliant anchor tenant in there uh, from a creative perspective. Um, but it was then, who else did we bring in to make make that place um, and to differentiate ourselves from the competition? Uh, so I think the, the BBC were a key first tenant, if you like, and then Soho House, obviously, were, um, were a great asset to the development and they came in very early and that helped set the tone for the type of homes we were going to build and the type of offices we were going to build. Um, and, and we felt very strongly that we wanted to appeal to the West London creative uh, market and that, that we're already in West London in Notting Hill. It was already very much a place that, that you found um, creative people, um, but they perhaps had never thought about venturing into White City. And we, we wanted to, to kind of extend that market out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, just for people listening, that, that your body language you're using there of this almost adaptive master plan that you're talking about step by step by step. And I guess in that sense, it is it is iterative. It is that one piece learns from the next and you don't have there was a final goal in terms of a, a rich mix of activities, but you're not set on it. And I'm very interested in that. How did you describe that? 
adaptive strategy at first? It, it, was it, is it words? Is it, is it a vision statement? What are we imagining here? Well, we did have, we had a, a sort of vision statement as such early on in that we knew we wanted to create um, a place for people to live and we knew who we wanted to appeal to in terms of our market. Um, and we, we also wanted to create a place where people worked. So we, we wanted to create this, I think now people call it the 15 minute city, don't they? Um, I think we, we had a vision of that before that was a thing, let's say. Um, but, but we had to be iterative. So we had to have our core principles. We had to, you know, we, we, every decision we made was informed by that, that core vision. But the core vision was such that it, it had scope to be flexible and to, to enable us to adapt to the way the market was moving and also the type of, of tenants, retailers, occupiers that we were talking to. Um, so, yes, it's, it's a balance, isn't it, of, of not being too prescriptive, but at the same time needing to have a, a sort of core um, sentiment that you, you, you're you going to stand by. Otherwise, it's very difficult to create a place that, that's not, you, you, you can't be something to everyone. You have to be, you have to have a core vision. Yeah. It's interesting that, isn't it? That you have the vision and then you facilitate from there. And I guess a lot of what we're talking about here is those facilitated conversations. And as, because you've got some big voices there, haven't you? I mean, just BBC and Soho House from the very beginning. I mean, how did you then bring, I suppose, that richness of, 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 of smaller businesses and I suppose new and emerging voices to that? How, how might we imagine that? Well, I think I mean when we started. So obviously, the our, we 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 had the BBC, we had Soho House. Um, we we then were designing our apartments, and we have in the first phase just under four hundred and fifty apartments. So it, it's a big first phase. Um, we we very much designed our apartments to suit um, a, a market of. Um, domestic owner occupiers so we wanted to design places that people could live in so um, we we chose to design our kitchens a little bit larger than probably a typical new build with a bit more storage with things like island units that that could be used as a dining table um, we we designed the apartments with more general storage um, we thought very hard about how how people would live in those apartments and, and we looked at how people in that West London market lived, not just in Newville, but also in, in the secondary stock, the typical kind of properties, because what we were trying to do was to appeal to people who maybe had never bought Newville before. Um, and, and that proved to be very successful. So we had a very, very successful first sales launch pretty early on, to be honest, a good two years before we, we were due to complete. And the nature of those buyers um, was very much, we, we sold an awful lot to UK buyers, which is quite unusual in, in residential development, new build development, off-plan sales. Um, and they were the, the type of people that, you know, they, they were the creative types, they were people from West London, they were um, people who hadn't necessarily thought about buying new build before, but they wanted to be part of something bigger. Um, they wanted to be part of the heritage and and they they, they valued that and they they diff that they saw that as a differentiator beyond the sort of typical new build stock. And that that kind of brought us, you know, by then we, we'd started to build a community of people. Um, so that by the time we completed, we had 
this sort of ready-made community of BBC, Soho House, and, and our purchases, of which we'd, we'd sold a large number before we completed. So that enabled us then to go to, to appeal to the retailers and to appeal to the other occupiers because we the, the community was coming together. Um, and, and I think because of the way we thought of that and the way we targeted ourselves, we targeted the design of the residential, that very much helped us to attract the retailers because and the the restaurant operators because they they saw the community that we were building. Yeah, I think I think I mean that's it's, it's beautifully described, and I think that that thought of those people first. You know, often it is a thing that is spoken of too much as a thing of marketing that happens after the fact. That there is you know there, there people fall in love, particularly in the world of real estate, with the artifact, with the building, and then they post rationalise what's going to happen next. Whereas I think so much of what you're talking about is that life first, people first piece, and I guess that equipped you well, not just in terms of those conversations with potential retailers, but also through the pandemic and beyond, because that ideal experience is understood, you're in a better position to program and facilitate that whatever's thrown at you because you know your audience. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly. And your point about the pandemic is is really interesting because Television Centre um, throughout the pandemic was it, it was a really strong community and and the residents. Uh, people loved living there throughout COVID, even through lockdown, whereas a lot of, um, you know, the, the apartment, new build apartment market, you know, was on its knees in COVID. Nobody wanted to live in an apartment, especially with no outdoor space. And and a lot of our apartments don't have, in the listed part of the building, don't have private outdoor space. But we do have very generous residence gardens and very generous amenity spaces. And, and we have a really strong sense of community. And and there was, you know, they, they, there were all sorts of great um, sort of community-led initiatives at Television Centre through lockdown. And I think it it made the community stronger. And talking to people who live there, they all said we felt very lucky that we lived in such an environment during that time because we, we felt part of something. Um, and... And so that was yes. I mean, you couldn't have predicted that when we when we designed and you know thought out Television Centre. But community was always very much at the heart of what we wanted to do. We wanted to create a place where people would come and they'd maybe start off in a one bed and then they might graduate up to a larger apartment and they would become members of Soho House because when you buy an apartment, you get you you can apply for membership there. So you become a member, you have the club, which gives you a, an extension to that community. Um, you might work out of Soho Works some days a week, which now obviously with hybrid working is, you know, it, it's a great bonus. Um, and and you may then go on, you, you may end up working in one of the, the offices in Television Centre or White City Place and, and really, you know, you're, you're very invested in that White City community. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And I think that point you're talking about, the... I suppose the, the sort of perpetual activation that too often I think is often spoken of as something that is it needs the um, the developer, the landlord to make it happen, that they need to activate. Where I think what you're doing is you're talking about, you know, creating the right ingredients so that it can be more ground up or, as you said, it's community led. And to, to how much to what extent are you creating the catalysts of activation or is it all about? you know handing the pen around because I know for instance your podcast studio there there are a number of initiatives aren't there that are all about a little catalysts aren't they yes I know I think as you know as a developer 
our role is to to create the place and to, to try and put all the relevant parts of the jigsaw together so that you've given it a great launch pad. We then have an asset management role um, at White City where then it's taking that place and taking it on in terms of what we do uh, with the, the podcast, for example, and all of the, the, the wider community-led initiatives. So um, my role as a developer is very much to put all those building blocks in place so that when we when we roll into an asset management role, it's there and and they can then take that on and develop that and 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 it will flex work with it depending on on which direction the community is going you know how how that community responds but we we did put in place um a very strong um, management team at television center they're very visible um we we have very strong resident amenity provision but it's it's um amenity provision that we believe is um useful and um not not just gimmicky there's an awful lot of gimmicky amenities around but actually what people want is something they can use they want a great gym that they can go to with great classes um and, and an air of community again about it they don't want a sterile you know residence only they want somewhere that, that they've got access to that is is a really you know top of the range amenity best in class amenity they want a, a lounge and workspace that they can go down and have a coffee and meet other residents or, or sit and work. Um, and they want to be able to go and have a glass of wine with their neighbours once a month or whatever it might be. And so just putting all those building blocks in place so that, that people are able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So on that point of the, then, I suppose, community and of, I suppose, the 50-minute city and doing that, well, in terms of its richness and variegation of activities from the very beginning, um, often also that, particularly if one is attracting a tar- younger target audience within the creative industries, the permeability of that community and the variety of other voices, other stories coming in is often critical to that energetic city life. And I'm interested in, you know, if we think about this as an Edam cheese, how, how you left holes for that otherness, that permeability, the things that were not necessarily facilitated by you? I think it's about making everyone feel that they are invested in the community. So um, it needs to be as important to um, ITV renting the studios, BBC, that they're part of the community as it is to someone owning a three-bedroom apartment. And everyone has to feel they get some benefit from from being in this wider mixed-use community I keep using the word a lot community but um, but I think so you know we uh, in the early days we, we would uh, residents w- would have um, I think they still do that you know they, they can go and get tickets free tickets to go and see the shows um, and we have top gear you may have noticed filming in the middle of our sort of residential courtyard and that you know when it, it's quite a disruption for residents. You know, it's a big filming operation, and there are lights, there's noise, there's cameras. It's done in the evening. Um, we hosted uh, there were film awards there, but actually, because everyone feels part of it, the residents are very proud to have that going on, literally outside of their bedroom window. Um, so it, everyone needs to feel that they're part of something. And if if you do all feel like you belong, and you feel like it's it's a reciprocal arrangement. Then, then I think everyone, you know, it's welcomed. It's just when, if everyone feels like they, they, if everyone sits in different boxes, it's quite hard to then get people to interact and to engage and to welcome each other. But yeah, 
And I like that. I mean, again, your body language of, of hands coming together. This this speaks of an ever so rich program. This is a calendar. This is celebrating what's on. And I'm I'm interested in that because I remember at the beginning you spoke about you know creating that vibe, talking about a vision in terms of the liveliness of it, and then ensuring that you know there was a day and night personality. And tell us about that journey because that's a thing, a program more than plan, isn't it? And often that can be considered as an overlay that comes after the fact. But it sounds like you're baking that in from the beginning. Tell us a bit about the calendar bit. Yeah, I think I think the only way you can bake that in is by providing a, a, a mix of uses where people are using buildings and parts of the estate at different times. Um, so by by having a mix of of apartments and offices, you're obviously covering off parts of the day where where there is you're, you're bringing people into the estate throughout the day. Um, but then. I mean, we're very lucky we have studios, which brings in a whole different, quite literally a different audience at different parts of the day who want to use different parts of the estate. Uh, and then the retail feeds into that and obviously benefits from all those different users. So by by creating something that's truly mixed use, you're able to to bring footfall into the estate at different times of day and different days of the week. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's the classic, you know, the City of London always used to be Monday to Fridays only. And in fact, it was even dead on a Friday. And now it's becoming um, weird. There are more apartments being built there uh, or certainly around the outside. And and that's bringing in the footfall and bringing in the life that that can then support businesses seven days a week and and in the evenings. And that um, you know, that that takes time and, and you need to a, you, you need more than just an office worker or more than just an apartment owner. You know, apartment residential areas can be very dead during the day on certain days of the week. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I think this is, I mean, just beyond White City, I'm interested in learnings for other developments because, you know, like we're doing sort of a lot of retail, well, what would have been retail-led development, but there's no more. There's no, there's no John Lewis going to come in and be that anchor tenant. So we often speak about it as anchor experiences. And so it's a you know rich mix of activities, but it is always on. Now, you had that in spades with BBC and to some extent Soho House already. Well, what do you think about other mixed activity developments and the importance of that anchor experience, or rather tenants that are going to step beyond the red line and help you create the heart together. Is that a model you're using elsewhere? Yes, I think we're definitely now looking at, for, for our larger master plan schemes, we look at how do we bring different uses in, um, different people in rather, um, at different points in the day. I think um, on a on a sort of wider scale, there is a danger at the moment that the idea of putting apartments in everywhere to bring life, you know, apartments being the panacea to all, all ills, you know, when you're needing to bring life into a city centre, I'm, I'm not convinced about. I think, you know, you, you know, you, you can't just build an apartment and someone will come and, and live there. You have to give them, you know, the, you have to create a village. You have to create somewhere where someone wants to come and, and live a place in a community. Um, so I, I think you, we do need to look more widely at other uses. We need to look more widely at, as you say, even just different activities. So, you know, whether it's um, more leisure uses, more, more experiential uses to attract people at different hours and 
And I think there's a big learning curve there. I don't think anyone's quite figured out what we're going to do with these large areas of retail space where maybe there are no shoppers anymore or not as many shoppers. Yeah, well, I think that's where things like the turnover models start to get interesting because then you've got a vested interest in working together to attract an audience and to kind of curate and facilitate as a group. And you're thinking, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to draw you into this campus because of all of the different things going on. But everybody has a vested interest in stepping forward rather than expecting the local authority or the developer to do, you know, all of that, that heavy lifting. And I think that, that I find that very interesting. Yeah. And I think it's a lot easier when you own an estate or when you own a large, a large development, because you can, you can make those commercial decisions to bring in more interesting retail tenants and to maybe offer something a more flexible commercial arrangement, because you're doing it in the white, you know, for the wider good of your overall estate. Where it's more difficult is where you have the sort of, you know, a mix of land ownerships and everyone's um, trying to get the best deal for their individual plot. And that's that's where it's a lot harder. You, you yeah. do need an element of scale to 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 be brave, I think. That's right. I think there's, there's that scale. And I, I think, yeah, and, and, and maybe a shared vision. I mean, Stockton upon Tees is I, I wrote about it a bit last year and it's, it's such a cracking example. This is the local authority stepping in a Debenhams closes down and Marks and Spencer's closes down. They turn it into, a, you know, an enterprise arcade, particularly for micro enterprises. And they're there fanning the flames, but not also getting in the way of the in, in independence of the retailers along the high street. And I think that's a very interesting model to see. You know, it's, it's, it's organic and I suppose flexible, as you say, flexible commercial yeah. arrangements, but also flexible in terms of time and space. Yeah, and I think people value more than ever now, people value the independent retailers and the, the independent operators. And and that, but that is something that we, we have to try and, and work into developments, but that is where you, you do have to be very brave because obviously you're not going to get the same covenant strength or the same rent. But you have to look a little bit beyond what what are they actually bringing to your to your estate or your development, and and there is extra value. You know, you, you, you see the value elsewhere. Yeah. Yes, I wonder whether it's in some ways you, one is sort of beginning to almost master plan for the journey as if it's a campaign. So you know, a lot of people, our free state's older work was very much with sort of mega brands. And, you know, we'd look at things through a campaign across a number of years as how we draw in audiences, you know, they'd get attracted, they'd slowly get more involved. And then ultimately they'd tell others, they'd bang the drum. And it strikes me that we're looking at sort of almost city centres more like a campaign. Well, what, what do you think about that? Is that ridiculous or <laughs> the no, no, not at all. I mean, I, I think you almost have to see a lot of placemaking you have to see as a marketing spend in the early days. It, it's part of your branding. Yeah. If you want people to, if you want to change perception about an area, and, and I go back to White City, we, we did a huge amount of that in the early days. And we had to spend a lot of money and be quite brave to, to change the perception and just to get people to go there. Because if it's if it's somewhere that isn't instantly recognized as being residential office whatever it might be a place where anyone feels comfortable to go then um, then you have to you have to give them reason to go and you're going to have to spend some money and invest to to do that in the early days yeah. uh, 
I agree. I think it's the absolute virtuous circle. I think, you know, it, 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 the, the experience is the brand in that sense. You know, it, it is your marketing in the same way that your people, your community are your greatest ambassadors. And people always talk like this, but I think actually, you know, we need to better, well, sort of sequence that into how we think about those visions from the very beginning, that it's not just a thing of statements. It has a, enablers within it that speak of programs, speak of governance, speak of the ongoing charter and speak of the architecture. And, and we need to bring them together, I think. Definitely. And, and then once, if you make that investment early on, then then it pays off long term because those ambassadors are, are with you for the journey and they, you know, they, they they go and do their own thing and they go and spread the word and send the message out. And, and that's how the place evolves, isn't it? But you have to you have to invest in them early on. Yeah. It's inter- that may be a last question on that one, because I think the I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, advice on I suppose reigniting other city centres and we, we've touched upon a lot of things here about the importance of, of, of the community-led initiatives you know the importance of experience and, and this mix of uses and a place to live and to play and to work and it's it's almost like mixed activity rather than mixed uses is there any other things we, we might add to that which I'm particularly interested in maybe sites that yeah you know don't have a BBC at their centre and how we might learn from this well i think i think this goes back to you have to sort of look around when when you first if if you have a large site or a large opportunity you have to sort of look around and see what is it what are the unique characteristics of it does it have great architecture does it have what's going on there at the moment is there is there a bit of a, a um uh, you know do, do you have lots of crafts People working there. Do you have sort of some some businesses there that are, are making things, for example? What can you what can you take from the existing and then build on to to be your vision? You know, what is your vision going to be? Um, and I think that's sort of the starting point. And and I think the the vision has to be connected to what the place is already or what's going on around the place. You can't just sort of drop something like a sort of, you know, UFO straight into the middle of a city and expect it to take off. You have to kind of see what's working at the moment. And even if what's working might not necessarily be where you want it to be at the end, there'll be some things. If you've got if you've got people, you know, loads of little light industrial crafty type, um, you know, uh, trades going on there, then maybe there is an angle there that you can build. You can create making places, workshops and you know, it, it might it might look a bit industrial and not great at the moment, but can you turn that into something that that actually is more customer facing yet still accommodates those sort of people? Um, so I think you have to you have to look at what's going on around you, decide what what it is about the place that is working at the moment, and then how do you build on that? And how do you create a vision? And from there, you can go on to talking to other operators and bringing people in. And I think I like the way you're exploding that outwards. It's almost like there's a spirit of planning long term, but but starting now that you can get those things moving quite quickly as a prototype for what's happening above and beyond. I suppose that's, you know, there's elements here that speak of, you know, we started with the idea of the adaptive master plan. And I suppose there's elements of this that are, I suppose that those early activations can start to inform how you build, how you lease, and you learn from them. And the great thing about that is people are starting to fall in love with this place and take part in this place before it's finished. And that yeah. that sounds great because essentially it will never be finished. That's no, exactly. It'll always evolve. And, and I think you can't turn your back on what's 
what's there already. You have to work with what what you have, and there there will always be something great about somewhere. Um, it's just finding what it is, and then and then working with that, and helping those businesses who might be there already. You know, is there an opportunity for them to grow? Is there an opportunity to to move them to to help link them together and make them you know a, a sort of you know, help their growth by linking them up? Um, how do you you know what? How do you really you know build build on that and not turn your back on it? Um, and that that I think has to be the start of the placemaking, and that there will always be something. Yeah, and I think that speaks well to what you're saying because you, you, your definition of place making here is I mean, it's too often I think it's, it's people uh, enjoy a lot of the, the the physical influences and maybe the things that relate particularly to architecture. But I think so much of what you're doing here about your your target audience, your care for what they're doing, what they're thinking, it's that personal element that sounds so clear to what you're doing. In that sense, you're not just place making but then there's the place keeping the place facilitating the ongoing energy that you've well understood from the beginning because the people were right there at the center and i like that yeah, totally i think i'd like to think that everything we do here at stanhope we think very carefully about who we are targeting our product whether it's an office or a, an apartment we think about who the target market is and and what they want out of that product and what's what's going to attract them to it and how how we're going to keep them there it's not just about you know getting them to sign on the dotted line it's about getting them to stay and and to to expand somewhere or to you know to to move on and, and sort of holding that that market within an area do you think this is also to do with developers holding on to their assets for longer now that there is that there's a a care for the ongoing phasing and story that maybe we wouldn't have heard of so much five years ago. I say that because I, I judged the, the, the Estates Gazette Awards uh, a, a few months ago, and it seemed to be really noticeable as the people were talking to me about when they judged five or 10 years before, that it was a totally, rather than any storytelling, any thought of audience was there to sell it rather than to keep it. And I'm wondering if, if, if this is a, a key thing to bring up. I think definitely. I think that we do look far more long term now at all assets, uh, and there's there's a number of reasons for that, aren't there? It's it's long term holding, but also from a sustainability point of view, you don't want to build something that's going to have a very short shelf life. You want to build something that's going to last. Um, but you know, my, I specialise in residential. From a residential perspective, five years ago. You wouldn't have expected you you never thought about selling completed units you always you know new build you were always selling them off plan you would have very little left at completion maybe a year after that has completely changed now and and it's a huge focus now is selling completed stock uh and and you have to you know it, you're you're judged on different standards you know you, you can't just produce an amazing brochure and sell a dream and not worry about what's delivered because People are going to judge you on what you've delivered, and you still have to be able to to stand by that because you're you're going to be selling for years into the future. So, um, so I do think we we think more long term. I think that's a very good thing. I think you know it, it was the, the sort of short term thinking for design doesn't doesn't help anybody, and and certainly doesn't produce a great product for anybody. Yeah, I think that I find I I think maybe as a 
the closing point, I, I really get that, both the long-term thing, but also the personal story you're telling here, that I think, you know, for, to working from the inside out, particularly thinking about, you know, your, your interest in that domestic story, that rather than so many things that in the past have been sold from the outside in, in terms of the drama of the silhouette, you're talking about something that's much more intimate, much more about the lived experience, and I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, exactly. You need to be able to um, take someone into an apartment or take someone into an office and they, they can feel, you know, they, they can see themselves living in it. And you need to be able to to address all those points that I think a lot in the past people didn't. We, we maybe cut corners historically on because we didn't think about what it was like to be living long term somewhere, certainly from a residential point of view, whereas now I think we, we understand the value in producing places where people genuinely can live and can move to. And, and that, I do think, is, is something that's going to be for, for you know, it's, it's an improvement to the market. It's going to be for the, the good of all long term and, and definitely helps in, in the whole, even just placemaking, everything. You know, you're, you're really kind of, you're investing in a place long term rather than investing in a short term profit. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. This is, this is empathy. This is empathy at a, at a massive scale, and I, I love it. So, Penny, thank you so much. It's incredibly clear to go through that with you. Really, you know, many wonderful points. And I think, you know, I think we should all, yeah, we need to get out in the city more. We need to be in White City experiencing it for ourselves. So thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast today. Do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are and do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you and see you soon.